You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us this evening. Hey, last week, um, last week's show was interesting and good. And I wanted to kind of reach back to that for a second, because last week we had one of our viewers who made um, an interesting comment in, in our comment section. And she said something to the effect of, you know, why don't we as black women or we should be speaking out more about issues? And I remember responding something to the effect of, yes, but it comes at a cost. And that was marinating in me a lot when I got off the show that night, because part of what has continued to happen uh, over the last many weeks, particularly since my uh, the May show that I did with Dr. Karen Johnson, when um, there was such a uh, it was a heart wrenching, compelling conversation that so many black women reacted and responded to. And the outreach that continues to happen, our people are talking to me about what's going on in their worlds, what's going on in the workplace, the challenges that they face and the crossroads that they're at. Because many of us, many people, what they're saying is that, you know, I want to come forward more. I want to be able to speak out about these issues, but I can't. I can't because I have to feed my family and I have to, you know, so there's been this series of issues. Let me also say a couple things because even when I did that show back in May, uh, I've had a few shows in the almost six years that I've been on air where when I'm getting ready to have these kind of difficult conversation, there's pressure that comes to me to not host these conversations, to not speak out on these issues and to be careful about what you say and to make sure that you're not upsetting whomever. That's where we're going to start today, because that behavior of the crossroads that black women are at, and I do believe broader than black women, I believe all women who stand for something face this deep pressure, but we're going to focus on the extreme pressure of which black women are forced to conform and and the issues that come with that. Now, joining me tonight, you know, I've got this bomb um, group of fierce black women who are on regularly with me, but who want to talk about this because we've all in our own way experienced it and seen other people who suffer from this. So let me uh, introduce in. Let me start with Dr. Karen Johnson, bringing her on this evening. Welcome, Dr. J. We have Stephanie Coverson. She's the CEO of Jummy Pay Consulting. She's here with us again tonight. We have Joy Stanford. She's our political advisor here with us tonight. We have Aaron Jones, equity consultant. And we have another uh, Michelle Dodson who is scheduled to come on who's having a little bit of technical problems. But welcome ladies to this conversation tonight to talk about 
this whole issue of conformity and or pressure and what that feels like. Um, I want to start with just getting some initial thoughts from you about just the fact that I'm doing a topic like this, because did you hear in my introduction where I said, even I get pressure about which shows to do what I can't do or what people don't advise me to do, that sort of thing. So Dr. J, let's start with you. Um, since I referenced the show, <laughs> since when I brought you on in May, I'd love to hear your thoughts about all of this. Well, good evening, Queens. Good evening, Cindy. Good evening, everyone. I'm going to be brief because I could talk an awful lot. I made the mistake of picking up the book entitled uh, The Making of a Slave by Willie Lynch. And, you know, when you talk about how sometimes we feel pressured not to speak up, that is by design. That is absolutely by design. The intent was to break the black woman so that she would then teach her children to basically submit. So I think the topic is relevant, it is timely, and must be called out right now because if ever there's a time for us to speak it loud and proud, now's the time. Thank you for your courage to even have the conversation. Dr. Coverson, how are you this evening? I am doing uh, well. Thank you um, so much. I have been so excited, um, frankly, to have this conversation. And I'm going to keep my opening remarks short as well. Um, the pressure to conform or the penalty for speaking out goes somewhere. And so... And by somewhere, I mean disparities in health outcomes, disparities with our mental health. Um, I cannot tell you the number of Black women that I know of a variety of ages who are navigating mental health crises stemming from, you know, inhospitable work environments, to put it kindly. Um Strokes, cancers, uh, anxiety, panic attacks. Um, this is uh, an important conversation to have um, because we are also the targets of the backlash of DEI fatigue and uh, reversity efforts. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. We're going dive more into that. I want to get our initial thoughts out. Erin Jones, how are you this evening? I am well. Um, I think it's so funny because I just did a, a podcast interview with a white gentleman who does DEI work and he's trying to stand in the gap and use his platform as a way to create space for black women to talk and black men. And he talked about why are we so afraid of the truth? What do you want to be to talk about? Why are we so afraid of the truth? And so I think this is one of those conversations. People are afraid of the truth. I mean, rather just shut us all down because if we don't have to listen to the truth, we don't have to do anything. And so I think that's why, that's one of the many reasons that there's pressure to not have these conversations because then we can pretend, well, we hired you though. We got more black women working here. Mm -hmm. They may be dying, but that's their problem though because they're not eating well and they're not, but if if we really listen to the truth, we actually need to act. And I think people are really afraid of acting. It means you got to give up some of your power. you got to invest in stuff. And people don't really want to do that. They want to talk about it. 
they don't wanna, really want to be about it. So mm-hmm. that's my take. Miss Stanford, Joy, how are you this evening? I'm good. Um, I'm I'm in day two of a three day DEI org wide, not org wide, but smaller group from our organization training. And we talked about this today. And it's very apropos that we are having this conversation, um, especially in a time where folks cannot come forward in their true authentic self and name to say this is happening to them. And you almost have to like, keep it quiet, keep it quiet. And so for us to be able to talk about this and put it out there that it's happening to me is, um, is our way of answering that, mm-hmm. that silence, mm-hmm. is, is giving voice to that silence. Mm-hmm. Yes. So interesting. You're working for an organization that is still focused on DEI. Do the rest of you have uh, observations about um, organizations, who is and who is not? Let's just talk about in Washington state. I know they're not in Florida, but do we have a lens on here who's still participating and eager uh, to do this work and and how is that going? We I think four of us kind of work in that space. Well, all five of us do, I guess, in that space a little bit. Uh, thoughts or observations about that? Dr. Coverson, do you have some thoughts about it? Um, I'll say this. Um, what I am hearing um, in my conversations and networking uh, with other folks, just being in community with other folks, um, I'm hearing a lot about DEI fatigue, that people are ready to move on and talk about other kinds of diversity. And this statement to me is really about the discomfort around authenticity authentic conversations around race and racism. It also discounts that race lives in every other kind of identity. So there are, uh, uh, there are uh, POC folks who also have disabilities. There are uh, POC folks, BIPOC folks, black folks, in the LGBTQ community. So every single one of these um, other marginalized uh, identities here in the U.S., there's an element like race exists in those spaces too. And so by setting aside race, quote unquote, um, to focus on these other aspects of my uh other aspects of diversity and and marginalized identities, what we're really saying is let's focus on white folks with other marginalized identities, Um, right? Because we talk about African-Americans, Asian-Americans, Native Americans, right? But there's only one group of folks who just get to be Americans, Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not BIPOC folks. Um, And so there really is this desire, I think, to just step out of the whole conversation about race because it's going to cause 
us to really have some conversations about ugly truths. And it's really going to force us to have conversations about uh, the lie of a meritocracy, mm. right? And how people got into roles and how they are able to persist and flourish in them. Mm-hmm. Meritocracy is a good question. I mean, that has been historically what is used used to um, push, you know, BIPOC folks out by saying that everyone else has earned their way into whatever. And now, I mean, this is an opinion, so I'm, I'm curious uh, on your reactions to this, but now that we have uh, exceeded qualifications and all the things that are said are necessary, the meritocracy now becomes um, have other people earned their way to the table the way that black women have. Now, when we look across the country right now, look in every direction at who has to, who are in these positions to fix things. And, you know, I mean, we can talk about what was on the news all day yesterday. I mean, is meritocracy a real issue anymore? And have the folks who developed that system in an attempt to say, well, she doesn't have an Ivy League or she doesn't have a degree. In the, are are they now qualified and do they have merit to be able to be in these roles? Dr. J, what do you think? I think the Aaron hit it about truth and Dr. Carver said, I'm gonna add uh, reversity mm. with caucasity. I'm going to add now reversity to my list with caucasity. I really think, Cindy, that these are all, as far as I'm concerned, just false narratives. Fundamentally, this is a system set up to advantage people who don't look like us. And I believe now that we're at a place in society where everyone is saying we're not having it anymore. We belong to be here. We have a right to be here. We belong here. And what you call meritocracy, you have the job or the position or the education because you earned it. We now have pulled the sheet back like in Wizard of Oz and have exposed the wizard. Uh, because and, and many white people are now beginning to wonder, well, do I have the job, the home, the car, the spot in college because I earned it? Or is there some truth to the fact that I am here simply because I'm white. Because think about it this way. How would you feel if all you really have going for you is skin color, something over which we had no input? I believe it is important. You asked earlier, which organizations in this state are still focused on diversity, equity, inclusion. I know in the nonprofit sector, that's where I've been hanging out lately. They are on anti-racism, a multicultural. They're going full speed ahead, some of them. Um, But yeah, I think meritocracy is absolutely important because you see, that's the excuse. That's the reason that's held up against all the data that's indicating, no, What's really going on here is systemic racism. People are being treated differently 
because of the earth suit that they wear to navigate earth. Mm-hmm. Aaron, were you about to say something? Yeah, I just wanted to respond to Ruby's comment because I, I, I love your comment about all the big words. Because um, I think <laughs> as an educator, I think we can get, like there are certain words that we use all the time and, um, and those in the know are in the know. <laughs> and, and oftentimes that's a, that's a way though that we can exclude people from conversation. So I don't want to assume that people know even what meritocracy is, but meritocracy is this notion that you have to have merit, like you have to have earned your spot um, by whether it's going to a particular college or having jumped a certain number of hoops. That's what meritocracy is. This notion that people need to have earned their spot and things like affirmative action allow people to jump over all the the other proving places. But here's my pushback on that. So meritocracy for me is really problematic because I have earned my spot as have all of the women on this space. We've all gone to really great colleges. We've gotten our degrees. The challenge for me is that merit, the goalpost is moved all the time. And so the first goalpost is like, you have to have an undergrad degree from a particular place. Then the goalpost is, no, nope, you have to have a master's degree. Then the goalpost is, you have to have so many years of experience in this particular environment. Where if we weren't invited into that environment, we couldn't even get experience in that environment in order to... So, so I think my challenge is, we are all, all of us on this call, and so many other Black women are really qualified. Like, we have all the qualifications but the goalpost keeps being moved. Mm-hmm. And so they can continue to say, well, you're not, you don't have merit in this way, but it's, it's the shell game, right? And that mm-hmm. is my problem with meritocracy is, is we have plenty of brilliant black and brown people who may not have gone to Harvard and Yale and Stanford, but are still incredibly brilliant and have done a lot of things to demonstrate their brilliance, but we want to move the, the goalpost to mm-hmm. say they don't, they're not enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And there's a very small, I mean, getting real about sort of Ivy League schools, there are very few organizations that require folks to have a degree from an Ivy League, right? So we're talking about generally state institutions, two-year, four-year, private, you know, uh, four-year uh, institutions. Um And so what we know statistically is that black women are the most educated uh, group of folks in the United States. And so the running joke with me and some of my friends are, "Ooh, I'm bored. Oh, well, I guess I'll go get another (laughs) master's degree right?" Or me. I start my doctorate uh, program in a week. And, um, you know, this is, this is what we do. Right. And I, and also I think being of a certain age, education, um, was supposed to be this great equalizer. The reason that we, you know, we're experiencing, uh, lack of generational wealth or, you know, as uh, like my mom would say, robbing Peter to pay Paul and those kinds of things mm-hmm. is because we didn't have this college degree. Mm-hmm. And so now we have this college degree and it's something else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, these, these barriers keep coming up. And I can remember um, a couple of things that I find interesting 
in my own journey is noticing that now that there may be one or two of us in the spaces where the dealings are dealt, like in the boardroom and the C-suite, all of these things, then they move out to the golf course Mm -hmm. and the tennis court and the ski lodge, places where they don't expect us to be. So if you don't have the, because golf is expensive, as is tennis and skiing darn sure is expensive. If you don't have the wherewithal to get those lessons, have or buy or rent that equipment or learn those skills, you can't be out there wheeling and dealing. So there is this nefarious tendency to move these goalposts. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so it is okay. continuous And if we could reframe the conversation, right? So we talk about minoritized and marginalized and underrepresented populations, right? And, and how can we help them? What is the problem with them, right? What if we reframe the conversation to ask the question, why are white folks overrepresented in these spaces when we look at right? The U.S. population and and the census, et cetera, just as a baseline. And then if we start looking at educational um, attainment and experience Mm -hmm. and sort of start putting people head to head, like uh, Katanji Brown Jackson Mm -hmm. um, was put through in the SCOTUS Mm -hmm. uh, deliberations when we all looked at her qualification versus everybody Mm -hmm. else on the bench. Mm -hmm is some uncomfortable reckoning for folks mm-hmm. who like to bang on their chests mm-hmm. and holler about how they got here from their grit and their hard work and, mm-hmm. you know, their individualism. And it's simply I mean, not true. I mean, I think it's relative though, right? Like the, um, how do I say this? Their definition of hard work versus our definition of hard work are not even in the same lane except they believe it is. And you can see that, I'll just talk about it through general business, right? Like industries where you see, I mean, you know, I don't want to target folks or say inappropriate things, but for example, you know, um, have you seen that picture that has floated around now for a few years went with uh, the nail salon and the women who are all sitting in the chairs getting pedicures are brown women and the women buffing the feet are white women. And it's like an unheard of kind of synopsis, but it's a powerful picture of it. And to know that, you know, I'm speaking for myself here, going into, you know, my own nail salons and so forth, making sure I take care of people who are cleaning my feet right? Like to the degree that we're talking about hardworking, right? People who don't have formal education and yet they are in there doing all the dirty work. People who work in the kitchens and all of the fine restaurants we go to and who are picking up the dishes. And remember during COVID how that picture of the woman was holding up the sign and said, open back up, I need my hair done. And it was the blonde woman with her root showing. Like the, the difference in how we perceive or how we are in terms of our work ethics and, and how gritty we all have to be and have gotten 
and have now, to all of your points, reached that bar and exceeded it. And now there's a whole nother narrative around reversity, Ruby, <laughs> reverse racism, the, what the um, other groups of demographics are claiming is happening to them now. Like that's real that we have to contend with that. And, and so I don't even think there's actually a recognition on what actual hard work is. Am I wrong with that, Joy? What do you think about that? I don't think you're wrong. You know, I was going to say after uh, Aaron said what she said, that's what I was going to say. They move the goalposts, but what they don't take into consideration is our lived experience. And there are many women who have met that goalpost. We have, we have the degrees, we have the receipts, but our lived experience, our everyday, what we've done, where we've been, where we've navigated through corporate America, nonprofit, educational, whatever that looks like, C-suite, whatever that looks like, we've navigated through that and we've come out on the other side, but our lived experience never gets taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the work that we are doing over these the, the three days that we're doing our DEI work to say, we need to take into consideration folks' lived experiences. So what does that look like in an interview? What does that look like when you talk to a prospective candidate? How can we make sure to pull that information out? You know, what let was me, your- Let me ask this question about that. Let me ask this question because how, what do we believe that people who are decision makers have the capacity to understand lived experience, right? In other words, many of the, I'll just call them recruiters, um, gatekeeping, you know, people who are controlling, who come in the door and not, oftentimes feel threatened by a black woman's lived experience because that lived experience is significant. And so therefore, when they inside of them hold joy up compared to whomever, there is, like, I guess my question is, do we believe that that is advancing Black women? It's not right now. I don't believe it is. I don't believe that our lived experience is being taken into consideration. But how can decision makers do that without being at the same table with people who are going through whatever they're trying to come to a solution about? You have to talk to the people that are most highly impacted by said issue and then move forward with all this feedback that you've gotten. And then you can disseminate it and come out with a really good shared how, how do we? Let me ask, how do we, I'm saying this rhetorically, but how do we translate that? Wow, I mean, that go. is a, I mean, it's a fair point. Um, go ahead, Aaron. I think yeah. you want to comment about it. Yeah, I have some thoughts. And, and this is not in the context of HR. It's in the context of college applications. So I've done a lot of work with um, colleges and universities across the country. I worked in college access for a long time. And one of the things we did is we talked about, OK, what are the qualities that you want from students? And then instead of saying they need to be part of bands and all the other like extracurricular things, thinking about, OK, those kids that can't afford to go to band, what are the qualities that you hope they will have learned from there? Here's a list of other things they may be doing, like taking care of younger siblings, cooking for their families, paying bills because their parents don't speak English, they are multilingual, 
And so we worked with a number of admissions officers to list here are the qualities that we want, and then here's how those qualities could match up in different kinds of experiences that are not your traditional. And I could see something like that with HR. Like, what are the qualities that we actually want? Here's ways that you could prove, and, and in, in education right now, it's really called standards-based grading. Mm-hmm. Is instead of, instead of you have to do these projects, it's you have to demonstrate these competencies. And really being competency-based you could demonstrate that with a degree, but you could also demonstrate that with like starting your own business or you have founded something or, I mean, there's just a lot of, so I think getting to competency-based admissions in college, but also with HR um, is a way I think, but it requires, um, to your point, Cindy, it requires having other people at the table. So today I had a meeting with some folks that Dr. J knows really well, and we talked about HR today. And one of the conversations we had with about HR was you have to have people who are closest to the ground at the table to talk about this stuff. It can't be all of y'all that have always been up here because what you're going to do is you're going to make decisions based on your own lived experience. And your own lived experience doesn't match the experience of the people that you say you want in the room. So if you want those people in the room, they need to be sitting at the table informing the process. People who are right on the ground with the lived experience. So then, so then are we, you know, back to how I opened the show about crossroads, like, are we at a crossroads about like what, what you all were describing, um, is, I mean, you know, respectfully, I mean, I heard all this stuff and I'm former HR, I've heard it 20 years ago, right? The same conversations were happening then. Um, about lived experience and how do we, you know, how do we blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, we're still navigating in a space where we are not designed to be. And so the question, I guess, you know, this is what, you know, after it was since Ruby's watching today, Ruby's comment last week about, you know, we should be speaking out more about these issues and the cost of even this Will this change things or should we as black women be doing something different right now? And if so, what do, what it, what does that look like? Like, I don't know, Dr. J, what do you think about when I say something like that? I think about what I heard from Dr. Stephanie need to change the narrative. What someone just said about the shoe not fitting. I believe at this crossroad we get behind me is a picture of Michelle Obama and other black women who basically said, no, we belong here. That's right. We're not trying to fit in. We are here to be ourselves in this democracy, in this society. And I really believe that we must continue to move forward, to speak up and show up and do what's best because this isn't working for anyone. Um, Stephanie said that the silence goes somewhere. Heart attacks, arthritis, mm-hmm. diabetes. Yeah. I would submit when our foremothers were not able to nurse their babies because they had to be wet nurses for the slave owners' wives, that that's a major bonding and nurturing was destroyed then that we're dealing with now. And I believe 
we are the ones that carry the light, the love we've been through, and we still show up. And I think it is time to change the narrative. I do believe it is time to do different things at this crossroad, because if we continue the path that we're on, we're going to get the same that we've gotten, maybe even worse, because we're dying. Even nature is saying, okay, human beings, we've had enough of you. Mm-hmm. We're going to shut down the biology system. We're going to make it so hot you can't breathe. We're going to have earthquakes and fires. Could you please get rid of the hatred in your heart? And I believe if we continue to show up with truth and love and answers, demonstrating that we do have the answers, we will do it. And I believe that we need to do this by demonstrating it. You know, as, as a minister, we're, we're taught uh, it, it's best just to, to preach the love of, of my creator without mm-hmm. using the Bible. Do it by how you live. Mm-hmm. Let us be the hands and the feet to begin to just show up and do what we know to do. Mm-hmm. And there I think no the consequences or not. You mm-hmm. talked about pivoting weeks ago. Should black women pivot? Mm-hmm. The answer is absolutely. We have to pivot yeah. out of the silence, out of the complicity, out of the template, mm-hmm. out of the standards, because the assimilate of fitting in mm-hmm. has gotten us the McKinsey report that mm-hmm. Dr. Smith talked about last week. Mm-hmm. Unemployed, over-disciplined, fired. I mean, you, you, we've paid the price. We've met every goalpost and still we're having this conversation today. Mm-hmm. This is not acceptable to me. This is not acceptable to our babies. This is unacceptable. And yes, I believe it is time for us to stand up, show up, be the queens that we are, begin to start rebuilding society, saying, as Aaron just said, with everyone else who's also saying, I belong here too. My voice matters. Let us lead the charge. I think the consequence is what Stephanie was talking about, the consequence of high blood pressure, death, cancer. That's exhaustion. That is the consequences of exhaustion. We all in this space right here, can we all say how many years we've been doing this work? We've, we've had to navigate this, this lane and the lanes that we're, we work in. Um, it's exhaustion. Those are the consequences of, of what we've had to go through. So, yeah. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about, cause I was going to go there before Dr. J said this, let's talk about the pivot. All right. The crossroads that, we as black women are at, have been at for a minute, has required many of us, like myself, to be self-employed and, and, and staying out self-employed because I've often said to black women uh, whom I coach and help, you have two choices when they come, right? These organizations are blah, 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 blah. And I said, being in an organization is hard yep. and being on my own is hard pick your heart. And so when you pick your heart and you choose yourself first and you don't succumb to the pressure, again, as I stated in my opening comments, I get, you know, pressure at some times to not have host certain conversations. And I've had money and business taken away from me because I didn't conform. Yeah. And so, and 
And I don't feel personally that I'm disrespectful to anyone on this show. I speak truth. We all speak truth. But just to tell it even in a way that is protecting the names of the innocent still costs. So we're in this moment of pivot. What advice or what do we want to say to our black sisters out there and to our white sisters? There's many of them who have come forward and it's been fascinating even in the last couple of weeks when people have seen the Alabama brawl that we laughed about last week. But there is an element of unity happening right now across race. And if we're all moving together at this crossroads in a direction that the train can't stop and shut us up and silence this, what does that look like for people? What, did, what should we be saying to them? Dr. Coverson, what are your thoughts about that? I have such mixed feelings on that. Because <laughs> it feel back to this analogy of us being the, the cleaning crew that comes in again, mm -hmm. content warner warning, you know, to clean up a crime scene after it's occurred. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there are cycles of this unity um, where uh um, gosh, we should have we should have listened to black women. Had we listened to black women, we wouldn't have the president we had. Had we listened to black women, you know, there would be some different outcomes, you know, regarding covid. And so there's always sort of this constant thread, every, definitely every four years with the presidential election, um, definitely sort of in high stakes uh uh, two year, you know, election cycles or when something horrific happens. But there's not the follow through to actually listen to black women. Right. So, uh, I have read in multiple, you know, insights and analyses, um, that we are the canary. Black women are the canary in the coal mine. So, mm -hmm. like, when, uh, you know, something is coming down, we tend to be impacted by it first. Yeah. Um, and I forget who said, you know, when they catch a cold, we catch the flu. Mm -hmm. Right. So this this idea um, that like this is not new. This is not new. So I think the first thing is accountability. Mm -hmm. Right. So you say you want to be an ally. This, you know, this is what allyship looks like. Yeah. Right. And so it's not saying, oh, we should have listened to you. OK, fix it. And then back to business as usual. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, we should have listened to you. OK, now go out and campaign and, you know, do souls to the polls and sort of. We're going to talk about that things. next week. <laughs> <laughs> so next week's topic. Oh, sorry. But yeah, <laughs> it, I struggle with, you know, the authenticity mm -hmm. um, and stick to ofness. Mm -hmm. of the coalition building, because sometimes it feels like there's not a shared desire for liberation of everyone, but rather supporting the liberation of removing certain people's shackles so that they can go sit at the mm -hmm. table and move right. out the oppression. Miss mm -hmm. Jones, you, um, I can read your uh, I can read you as well now. What what thoughts were going through your head as Dr. Coverson was talking? 
Well, I think the challenge is that allies are, are often only allies to pat themselves on the back because it feels good, right? So I think, I think there are different kinds of allies. And, and I think it's really in vogue to be an ally. But then when it costs you something, like, like this is the thing that I've been saying since George Floyd. So having been a basketball player for so long, I actually don't need any cheerleaders on the sidelines anymore. I don't need people cheering me on from the sidelines. Go, Aaron Jones. Go do that thing. I actually need you to be on my team, on the court, checking, taking a screen, getting bloody, getting sweaty, running sprints with me. Like, that's what I need right now. And so if you're not willing to do that, you just want to cheer me. But I actually don't need you. And I actually don't really want you because you're a distraction to me now. Um, Because often you're cheering the wrong stuff, too. You're not even cheering for the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we actually don't need, and one of the things I've been telling everyone that I do training for in every keynote is stop calling yourself an ally. If you really are an ally, the people will call you that. The people mm-hmm. will call you that. So yes. stop taking on that name for yourself. Um, I would never say that I am an ally to trans people. Although I have two students that come to my class by design every Friday on their own who are trans people, but I would never call myself an ally. Now, I want to show up and support my students and do the best they can, but it's not until they say, hey, Erin, this is how we see you. And I, even if they said it, I still wouldn't go around, look at, I got my trans ally badge. And I feel like that's what way too many people have, are doing because that doesn't really cost them anything. And in fact, it gives them brownie points to be able to say I'm ally. And it doesn't require that they get bloody. doesn't require that they sweat. doesn't require any investment of money and not a lot of time. And so, I, yeah, we just got to push people to a different standard. But don't you believe that people get scared? They get scared. Uh, they get tired, which is why we're seeing, what, what did Stephanie call it? The fatigue, the DEI fatigue, where it's just kind of dropped off. And so... You have to be willing to lose something when you're speaking up. And I think someone said it in the in the comment section. You got to be willing, like you said, Aaron, to get bloody, to get sweaty and to be there walking shoulder to shoulder doing this work and speaking up and speaking out against what is happening um, in these in these type of situations. And Joy, as you know, from your own personal life and I know from my own personal life, I don't believe that happens unless you're in authentic relationship with someone who doesn't look like you. Like, I, I think there's a way that when you are just doing it because it's a cool thing to do, it's easy to walk away when it gets hard. But when you are, like, I think about my white parents. My white parents are in this because they're watching me be harmed. They're watching my children be harmed. And so I, I think there's my challenge also to leaders across the nation if you're a white leader, especially a white man, but also white women, because they have caused more harm to me in my life than anyone else, is I dare you to have an actual friend, not a friend that you like take out for coffee once a quarter, like somebody that will invite you to their home and you go to you go to their home, they come to your home, and you are actually doing life. My my challenge to you, if you're really a leader and you say that you're really committed to this, you will have not just one friend. And not just that person that you sit next to, even in church, but the person that you actually know, you're willing to be honest with, they know you. I think outside of that really authentic relationship, it doesn't change because it gets hard and you're not willing to bleed for someone you don't know. Mm -hmm. And I would say my white husband is one of those people. 
you don't he he will never call himself an ally but he will get sweaty he will get bloody he will go to the ends of the earth for his black sons he will do what he needs to do and i have friends like that but can you all say you can peg the people immediately who are in this not for the right reasons but for the pats on the back absolutely like that what we do not need and what we do not need is that call like oh my god that was so awful that i witnessed this thing happening to i mean it was just oh the way that you were treated you know was so terrible um we don't need that like say that publicly like Dana when I am <laughs> dismissed, discarded, treated as though I am incompetent um, and that I don't know my job with, you know, a multitude of degrees, national certifications and experience. What you said on the phone, say it in the space. Mm-hmm. All so that accountability. Like, and I've only had, I would say two white women do that in my lifetime. And it happened in the last five years who in the moment spoke up when they saw something like, whoa, whoa, let's correct that. This is what happened. She's not who you should be looking at. She's not who you should be disrespecting. You know who you are, Dana Coggin. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I wanted to really go quickly back to was uh cindy you made a comment earlier like this work hasn't moved forward and we've been doing this for 20 years and it's about accountability like how many times have you heard people say oh you know that's just the way so and so is like they're really old school so there is space for people to hear the information and and behaving in uh interculturally competent ways and equitable and inclusive ways is a nice to have, not a requirement. And as soon as it becomes an actual requirement for you to be in the position that you're in, to continue in the position that you're in, increase your salary, all of those things, we would absolutely see some different behavior. But right now you get to tap in or tap out. Mm-hmm. When it's most comfortable for you. And advantageous. Let's add advantageous, not just Absolutely. comfortable, advantageous. advantageous. <laughs> because the number of quote unquote allies that are monetizing this work by, you know, putting up the trans flag or putting up Black Lives Matter flags, um, they're monetizing um this work, but like the, the absence in the difficult conversations. Like this week's um, this week's news story about the football player, um, the third. What was the, it's in the news? Sandra Bullock played the mom in <gasps> the, um, the Michael Orr story. Michael Orr. Yes, <gasps> that is a perfect example of what you're describing Blindside. Yes. Dr. Coverson, about because yeah. the monetization um, of his black, story. I, I didn't hear the comment. His story, the monetization yeah, of his story. On all of our lives and um, the wall of moms in Portland. Do you remember that? Um, 
that movement. And then the wall of moms went and set up an LLC and, you know, removed the black women from the equation. You know, us as black women, because of these situations we're all talking about, um, we have been forced at least while we're internal, I'm back to the crossroads issue, right? We're in, in organizations, we're constantly forced to have to be gracious and allow these things to move in a way because we have to pick our battles. And one of the things that Pastor Jamal Bryant, I, I talked to you guys individually about this at different times. One of the things he said today is, Sometimes there is a grief that comes with being gracious. Holding back when you want to lunge forward is a disciplined skill set. Remember, the battle is not ours, right? And I thought that was really powerful of him to say because um, who made the earlier comments? I think it was Dr. Coverson about um, the um, health issues and the things that are inside of us because we have to extend grace to people who are in our face, disrespecting us, dismissing us um, while we show our resumes and credentials that are more times than not exceed the people who are harming us. You know, this is a real crossroads we're at because the right Dr. J, what do you want to say about that? Yeah, I, you know, listening to what everyone has said, I'm reminded about, um, you know, I read, was rereading your book, The Color of Courage, and Viola Davis's book, Finding Me. And then just listening to everyone at this crossroad, the way I, I see it for with landing on me is we have a choice to either go back and rediscover who we are or to continue the lie. And the reason why I say that is because DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. I don't even want to talk about those words. Any of this, for me, it's life. I show up in this suit every single day. Mm-hmm. They're not microaggressions. It's just straight up disrespect and aggression every single day. Mm-hmm. I want to welcome in... Let me welcome in Michelle Dotson really quick. She was having a lot of technical issues and bless your heart. You got signed on, Michelle. Thank you for being here with us tonight in the last few minutes. Glad to be here. (laughs) Were you picking up some of the conversation we were getting at? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. And agree wholeheartedly. Um, I think it, I think the thing that resonates with me is about, Staying in our authenticity and truth, Um, you know, because what I find more often than not, when we stay in that place, eventually we come back to that message, that message that you've been harping on, talking about for years and decades and forever. It comes, the the chickens always come home to roost. It just works that way. And so when we stay in that, that, that truth, it will find, water finds the way. Yes. Exactly. 
and, and you know, and that's welcome. I'm glad that you were able to join us today. <laughs> and at the crossroad, that's exactly what I was about to say. This is an opportunity for us to really go back and find out for ourselves, well, who am I really? Mm-hmm. And, and the next question, what is my purpose here on earth? Yeah. And how am I going to relate in this context towards society? Because, you know, really it's our responsibility to teach people how to relate to us, not for us to conform to them. And, and finally, what legacy am I going to leave? But we can't leave a legacy unless and until we live it. And that's the opportunity that I see presented before all of us in this mm-hmm. moment. I completely I agree that. with that. Can I add one more thing? Um, sorry, I lost signal. I, my house has no air conditioning, so I've had to sit at the mall because it's the only place that's cool enough to be right now. <laughs> but anyway, um, the other thing I want to just invite us to think about is we can't, and I think about this in terms of marriage. I've been married for 30 years as of two weeks ago. I cannot change my husband. What I can change is me, though. And I can change how I show up to him and how I show up to us. I can change how, who I am in that marriage. I want to invite us, especially as Black women, one of the things we can do is we can shift how we show up to one another. Mm. And, and I want to invite us to that because I think we are so worried, and, and for good reason, about other people. But I think we have an opportunity at this moment in time to show up for, and I think we're modeling that, Cindy. I just want to mm-hmm. honor you for that because you are inviting us to show up for yes. one another in a different way. Yes. And I think we have to start there because here's the thing. I think white women have watched us divide and conquer ourselves and they just replicate that. I think we need to, to demonstrate to white people how we want to be treated by treating each other differently. You know, this is how I was going to actually do the show tonight, Erin. I wrestled with it. I wrestled with it a lot. And a few of you know that I did uh, because we had quite a conversation about this last week because I want it to start. I want it actually the subject of the show to be about, you know, black women versus black women. Um, And what I was reminded of internally, I would say, is that I want to be careful about how we talk about that because the world piles onto us anyhow. Mm-hmm. And um, my intentionality, look at the screen right now with the six of us. Yeah, I, I don't feel in competition with any of you. You, mm-hmm. you are my sisters and every one of you has a space that you can call me and I'm driving to Olympia. If you need help, you can call me like, I don't need something from you in a way that black women are actually destroying other black women because the crossroads, that's why I decided to do it this way. The crossroad is we have been trained and programmed to take her down in order to have another nickel. And that behavior is so rampant, deep, harsh in black women community. And we don't ever really talk about it. We we deal with it because we have to deal with it from the white world, too. And so it's so so I appreciate that you brought that up, Erin, because I it's real. It's in front of us every day. And I believe I want to hear more comments about that. I'm going to go just a little bit over tonight because I think this is an important 
takeaway. And I also want to get to the question that came up about the generation of young Black women, what can they expect in the workplace? But let's go right back to other thoughts from you about the Black women issue. Mm -hmm. Dr. Cufferson, go ahead. So from my perspective, I absolutely agree with everything that Aaron um, said. And I want to add the context, right? We have been socialized, like even pulling back to look at the conversation about affirmative action, right? And the case, the, the case before the Supreme Court on affirmative action. That case was about 5%, right, of college admission. So the the scraps, Mm -hmm. right? So we've been conditioned to fight over scraps versus take down the entire system. And Mm -hmm. so finally, I mean, we could go all the way back to what is it? California B. Baki. Um, The the fight about affirmative action goes back that far. And here in 2023, we finally have a lawsuit about unqualified applicants uh, being granted admissions into colleges because their legacies or their parents um, work for the colleges in question. And who are those folks? Predominantly white, right? Because those spaces were not created for us. We actually were denied access to those spaces hence the birth of HBCUs, right? So when we talk about this idea of scarcity and the scraps, like we have, and I also think some of it is epigenetic, right? When you think about, for example, in the period of um, enslavement and human trafficking Mm -hmm. and the predatory violent behavior that was a transatlantic slave trade in order to avoid revolts, right? You would offer more to um, enslaved people to tell, um, you know, offering sort of promotion, sort of all of these different things. And so we have been conditioned to argue and fight over scraps when we should be banding together Mm -hmm. and taking the whole system down. Mm-hmm. And and rebuilding it in a way where we can all flourish. Mm-hmm. Dr. We all have the skill set to do it. We have the skill set and the lived experience to do exactly that. Dr. J, I saw your finger, so I know when she talked about rebuilding society, that is right up your lane. You've been saying that at the mountaintop. Well, and I'm not going to belabor because I know that others want to speak. However, right now. Our instructions come from the movie entitled Woman King. Uh, And I only watched that because of reading Viola Davis's story. And, you know, they were one of the African nations who were selling Africans into slavery. Mm -hmm. And she decided, no, we're not going to have this and said no to the king and went to take down that Mm -hmm. slave trade spot. And there were those who joined her, but she was there with a group of women who or who came together to provide protection and safety, and in this case, leadership for their country. 
And she decided, oh, no, 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 we can make money some other way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to make it off the backs That's right. and the lives of our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And I believe that we have an opportunity to do just that and, and rebuild society by saying no to the no, That's right. no, no to what is, reframe the narrative and come together because this is an abundance mentality. There is more than enough. Mm-hmm. And we do need each and every person to show up mm-hmm. before they die. That's why knowing who we are, what our purpose is, how we're going to relate and what legacy we're going to live is so important. Mm-hmm. Woman King. That, 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 that was my recommendation. Woman King. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do... Um, I want to hold on to this moment because this moment is the power in this show today, right? This moment with six black women sitting here and an audience that's actually diverse because I'm looking at some of the comments and recognize some of the names, the people who want to come hear what we have to say, who want to learn from what does this look like for us and what is it we all need to do collectively. Now, if I'm you know, and some closing things I want to ask a closing question for all of us, which is what is it that we say, you know, do um, in to, let me just say, we know who many of the people are here in the Seattle area. There are definitely pockets of groups of black people, black women. And some of us, some let us in their circles and some don't let us in their circles. Um, I would almost say it's kind of predictable on some levels about when certain things happen, how certain people are going to respond to it. I've tended to stay away from a lot of that. I mean, a lot of people don't see me, you don't, you know, I'm not at, polo party. I'm not at these different things because I don't have the desire to get into any messy conversations with people like that happens, you know, often where somebody wants to snidely say something about another black woman and I just won't bite. What do we want to say to other black women out there who are facing, whether they're conscious of it or not, the need to conform and the feeling of being their feelings of insecurity or threat when another black woman is present or forward or qualified or more qualified. What do we do about that? Because collectively to move this mountain that we will be talking more about next week, this whole, this whole next political mountain we're in, we can't afford to be separate. We have to look out for each other in this process. There's just no if, ands, or buts about it. What is it we want to say? Aaron, what is on your heart about that as I'm, I'm saying this? So I have a couple things. Um, I think we have to model fully embracing who we are. I was just talking to some people today about that. Like I wear my hair this way on purpose. I walk tall and my all six feet of me, um, I have big... Not bright nails today because my son got married with black and rose gold. So we got black and rose gold nails. But I wear big nails and usually big jewelry. I just came from the gym, so I don't have that on. But I I walk in my fullness as a way to say to the world, this is who I am. And I just embrace fully who I am. And either you take it or you don't. And I just have, I've 
I have refused now to conform and to contort myself and to make myself smaller. So I think we have to model like who is, who am I fully? Second thing that I want to invite us to is I think we have to model with one another how we want to be treated, treated by other people. I think that those are two things that we can control is how do I show up me? And then two, how do I show up to you? And how do I invite you to show up to me? Michelle, what's on your heart? Um, I just think that momentum picks up steam mm-hmm. and yeah, that I, that there's enough work to be done with the people who want to be in this space. The burdens that those who, um, have insecurities that are holding whatever burdens they're holding that's a lot of work and all I can do is pray for them and send them positive energy and light but I can't fix them I can't fix me most of the time Mm -hmm. so that's it I want people in my orbit that see abundance, that see a path, that are willing not to fight back, but as I said to you, Cindy, to fight forward. Mm -hmm. We need to be fighting forward. Mm -hmm. And so with that being said, um, I think it's very important for us to hold the light. Now, if they're drawn, moths to a flame. If they're drawn here, great. We can work with that. But if they're not, then we have to let them go mm-hmm. their way. Mm-hmm. Thank because, you for that. You know, we there's there's other generations that are coming up that we need to be passing the baton to that yeah. need our mentorship. And that's who we need to be modeling for. Correct. Thank you for that. Joy, quickly. Uh, invite us all in. Include us. I like you. I'm not a part of those circles. <clears throat> because I feel like we're better together. It sounds cliche, but I'm going to say it. We're better together. And guess what? We're better and stronger and more powerful as a whole, as many. Not as one person who, or a few people that think they can singularly have a solution to something. Mm-hmm. So, and, but because there is depth of learning here in this space, right here, these six black women, depth yep. of learning, depth of lived experience, invite us in, include us. Yeah, Dr. Coverson. I think first it's important to understand why and give grace. So I absolutely despise the term imposter syndrome, right? So insecurities do not occur in a vacuum. So it's imposter treatment and the expectation that we have had to make ourselves smaller and to dim our lights. And with that indoctrination, we carry it other places. And so my advice is to begin to unpack that 
it is to recognize that all money is not good money. All conversations are not necessary conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and all thoughts are not the ones that you should allow to stay inside your head. And so to have discernment and create space um, for the light that is inside of you and allow the light of that is inside of others to um, meet you, mm-hmm. right? The system and these processes and the experiences that we are having survive because of the division mm-hmm. and the basic conversations. And I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I find some of it entertaining. Like I'm going to be the first to check out Usher's video um, (laughs) with Kiki Palmer when it drops. (laughs) So, you know, yes, you know, there are some fun, lighthearted, you know, kind of stuff like that. But also this is a time to be serious and to speak our intentions out because our words are powerful and they matter. Thank you for that. Dr. J. In addition to everything that I've heard from my sister Queens, you know, I'm just reminded that hurting people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at generational behavior based on fear, envy, and distrust. So what I would say in response to your question is I see you, I love you, and I love you enough to leave you alone if that's how you choose to show up because right now we're going with the goers and you have a place here. If you choose to go where we want to go. And that's what Thank liberty is. I appreciate that. I want to just take a moment. Uh, let me just thank all of the guests. I know we ran a little over tonight, our listeners, our viewers, and this team of women, powerful women that are in this movement to make things better for all of us. You know, I had made a note to myself today. You know, when I started the show off, I talked about um, being at the crossroad. And I wrote a note to myself that said, may your struggles keep you near the cross and not at a crossroad. And I think the power of allowing the divine order for which this moment is here not it is here if you're not paying attention to everything that's going on across this country and who is being activated ascended and elevated into positions that we need to be in to make things change i invite all of our sisters out here to join this movement for better next week's show we're going to pivot a little bit back to politics because we're going to talk about should black women continue to to support the Democratic Party. So I'm throwing that out as a teaser because we're going to go deeper into some of these other issues. I appreciate everybody who joined tonight. Have a wonderful week. We will talk with you all soon. Take care. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for Black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents.
Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.